0: May my words be in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. This morning, we have two readings that take a searching look at themes of struggle, self-knowledge, and reconciliation. First, then, the writer of Genesis and Jacob's mysterious struggle with the stranger. Let's recap. Jacob had deceived his father, outwitted his elder brother Esau, and had had to flee from his brother's anger. His mother Rebecca had arranged for him to stay with his uncle Laban, where he found himself for once outwitted by his uncle in the matter of a wife, in turn outwitting his uncle in the matter of some sheep. Now he has returned with his two wives, two slave girls, who are mothers of his four sons, all his 11 sons and his large flocks and herds. But he will have to meet the brother whom he has cheated so many years before and he is understandably nervous. His fears increase when he learns that Esau is coming to meet him with 400 warriors So he sends a present of goats, sheep, camels, cattle and donkeys, dispatching them in separate groups so that Esau will receive a succession of gifts. Last of all, he sends his family across. He still has a talent for cunning. And now he's alone beside the river Jabbok, alone with his fears. Somewhere, a lot, lot further back, the story probably had its origins in an age old account of a river God whom the hero had to wrestle and defeat before he could cross to the other side. Certainly the odd little reference to the wrestler's urgent plea to be released before the sun rose uh, would fit this suggestion. As in all the best stories, spirits and ghosts have to disappear before daybreak. The biblical version of the story tells of Jacob's encounter with God. There are two Jacobs here. One, the follower of some kind of vocation. Someone called by God, a cause of blessing. The other, a trickster, a schemer, a spoilt mummy's boy. They are the same person. The story tells of two Jacobs, as it were, struggling with each other to find a sense of wholeness and self-knowledge. Reconciliation with God is the indispensable prerequisite for reconciliation with the brother whom he has betrayed. This is a genuine encounter with God and the name Jacob gives to the place Peniel, is a reminder that he has met God face to face. It's that allusion which Charles Wesley picks up in what is arguably the finest hymn he ever wrote, Come, O Thou Traveller Unknown, which I haven't chosen for today because it's 12 verses. Verse eight, my prayer has power with God, The grace unspeakable I now receive. Through faith I see thee face to face. I see thee face to face and live. In vain I have not wept and strove. Thy nature and thy name is love. Mm -hmm. Then we turn to our reading from Luke's gospel, the parable of the unjust judge, and the persistent widow. This is another tale of struggle, self-knowledge and reconciliation. Let's recap. Luke sets the story as a, a delayed response to an earlier question by the Pharisees to Jesus in the previous chapter, chapter 17. They asked when the kingdom of God was coming. And Jesus replies in effect, that its coming will not be marked by things which can be seen or pointed to. The kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. I do the Greeks a bit ambiguous there, so it could also be translated, the kingdom of God is within you, or the kingdom of God is within your grasp. It's in the context of that conversation with his disciples that Jesus tells this parable. In the traditional title given to this parable, the judge gets a bad press. It's not so much that he is unjust, rather he is a little bit too uh, dilatory and laid back. There's no evidence to say that he's corrupt. Jewish judges in this era were unpaid. So their diligence depended not on the level of their fees, but on a high sense of duty and public service. And the ideal was that they should work together as members of a panel of three in order to reduce the risk of partiality and prejudice. Perhaps in remote rural areas like Galilee, that wasn't always possible. With no colleagues to chivvy him along, maybe the judge in our story didn't have that sense of urgency. And when the plaintiff lacked the clout to keep the case moving, that meant that justice was likely to be delayed. It's hardly an endearing image of God, is it? How can we compare our loving, just God to this aloof, bureaucratic official who will give in if we nag hard enough, if only just to get rid of us? And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Hmm. Better to focus on the widow Nagging women have been stock figures for jokes since the time of Eve in the garden, or of Les Dawson, whichever is the earlier. But as Jesus uh, tells this story, it is she and not the judge who is central. She is set before us as an example of God at work in our lives set before us as an example of what it means to live with struggle, self-knowledge mm-hmm. and reconciliation. It is her persistence, her dogged desire for justice, her refusal to be silenced, her resolve to confront oppression which is held up to us. And then we can apply that, of course, beyond the case to all areas of life. This isn't about inspiration. It's more about perspiration, she certainly doesn't give up. In 1853, Charles Dickens published one of his most powerful novels, Bleak House. The story is an extended satire on the abuses of the old court of Chancery, where delays and costs often brought ruin to those who pursued their legal cases. Dickens used his gifts as a writer to champion a a number of different social reforms in the mid 19th century. But it's almost impossible to imagine that a novel could persuade the government of the day to make a complete major change of the English legal system. But that is what Bleak House did. The old style court of Chancery was completely overhauled to deal more speedily with matters of probate, equity, bankruptcy, whatever. One of the cameo flights, sorry, cameo parts in the novel is given to eccentric little Miss Flight, who has haunted the court of Chancery and its judges for years in pursuit of a settlement. And despite all the exhausting setbacks, she has never given up. (laughs) Everywhere she goes, she carries a collection of documents associated with her case. Her catchphrase is, I expect a judgment. And her example is held up to us too. Back to our parable. This is how God's salvation comes, says Jesus. This is how we may know that God's kingdom is among and within us, not through the reluctant ascent of the powerful, but through the struggle, self-knowledge and ultimately reconciliation of the powerless. The persistent widow is no more a perfect person than Jacob in our Old Testament story. She may be to echo the book of Proverbs be like a nagging wife, water endlessly dripping. Though to be fair to the writers of the book of Proverbs, they redress the balance in the final chapter with that glowing tribute to that paragon of virtue, the capable wife. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. You got that gentlemen? Yes, or is our persistent widow a bit more like the plucky heroine of a tabloid newspaper headline? The point is, what do stories such as hers and Jacob's tell us? They tell us that justice does not come easily. There are times when no one seems to listen or care, there are times when the forces of oppression or injustice seem more powerful than the resources of faith and hope that we can draw on. There are times when the relentless struggle makes our own vision and determination weaken. And this is how it is for many, many people. There is a struggle for people of faith to keep the very idea of God alive in a secular society. And that's something about how we reshape for the 21st century, the life and witness of the church and invite people into discipleship of Jesus Christ. Uh, And I wonder for this and for every church post pandemic, it is about what I call the three R's. No, not the ones you know. Try resilience, resourcefulness, and reimagination about what we and every Christian community can be. There is a struggle to keep the values of God's kingdom alive in the places where we work, whether we see uh, human beings as costs on a balance sheet or as a resource. Whether we see economic activity as an end in itself or as a means to an end, that's about how we can live together responsibly and well, so that the strong can support the weak and do it with a generous heart. In straightened and febrile economic times, There's been something about that on the news in the last couple of weeks, hasn't there? Um, There is the temptation for us to become anxious and mean-spirited. And then there is a struggle for us to affirm the diversity of the world we now inhabit. Sort of back to our prayer for Black History Month in a way, uh, but for more than that, it's about how we listen to a variety of once hidden voices that now refuse to be silenced. It's about how we become more understanding and inclusive of a wide range of people, identify with their struggles and recognize that they, like us, are children of God. That's gonna vary from country to country, I know, but that's about the place of women, of black and Asian people of refugees and asylum seekers and the dispossessed, of LGBTQ people, of disabled people, of people with mental health problems, of survivors of abuse, physical, sexual or emotional. The mainstream media and increasingly social media carry their stories day by day. All these voices say, We will not go away. We will be heard. Yeah? I will have a judgment. In all these aspects of life today, we can discern the demands for justice, the insistent claims for action that are demonstrated for us by the woman in Jesus' story. In all these aspects of our life, we can begin to make sense of that mysterious struggle for self-knowledge and reconciliation revealed to us in the story of Jacob wrestling with God at Peniel. Here we can find the faith on earth which the gospel requires of us. Here we can wrestle with the mysterious power of love and find the undeserved grace which God freely lavishes on all of us. Let us pray. O God, with whom we wrestle until the break of day, Make us long to see your face beyond the limits of our strength, that in our wounds we may remember you, and in your blessing we may find our true selves. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.